Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. Hey, everybody. Episode 11 of Hashing It Out. As always, I'm Corey Petty. This is Colin is here with me. Say what's up, Colin. What's up, Colin? And today we are interviewing New Cypher. We have David Nunez and John Pacific, aka Tux, to discuss proxy re-encryption and blockchain and how um, this decentralized technology can possibly um, improve on proxy re-encryption techniques for sharing encrypted data amongst parties without necessarily sharing the private key that encrypts that data or public key that encrypts that data. So I'll let them explain it in better detail than I can. But first, you guys want to start by telling us who you are, how you got started in the space, and um, we can move on from there. Yeah, let's let uh, John go first. All right. Um, Yeah, so my name is John Pacific, as you said, aka Tux. Um, I am a cryptographic engineer at NewCypher. Uh, so I got started in uh, blockchain tech uh, sort of by happenstance. I was interested in the cryptography and everything uh, for quite some time. I'd followed Bitcoin since 2010. Uh, it, it just kind of I just kind of stumbled into it and got a job somewhere. And from there, I just I've just been working in blockchain tech ever since. Yeah, all too common story. And you, David? Uh, well, I'm. I have an academic background. I've been working uh, as a researcher in in the University of Malaga here, in a group that uh, focuses on cybersecurity. I did my thesis on cryptography, and I've been working with with Nucipher, with the company for almost two years, basically more on research projects and things like that in order to, to apply cryptography to, to some, to some um, technologies like big data, like Hadoop or Kafka and things like that. And from the last year, we've been talking, uh, I started talking with, with them uh, about this new project in the blockchain area. I, b- before that, I, I mean, I, I've been following the technology, but I never worked directly on that. But we've been working this for, for almost a year, I think, right now. Yeah. Okay. I'd like to maybe um, set the stage for the conversation here on out by um, saying like crypto or blockchain networks use cryptography, but they do not encrypt things. The majority of the cryptography that is used in the open blockchain systems that we use most regularly, like Bitcoin and Ethereum and such, uses digital signatures, which is an aspect of public key cryptography. Um, so there's no real encryption there. There's no obfuscation of data. And what y'all are doing is the opposite. Well, and you're using the opposite. You're encrypting things using encryption schemes, a, a, a myriad of encryption schemes, If I'm, which we'll dive into. But can we start by kind of discussing the difference between those two things and why it's important to understand what y'all are doing is necessary in this space or in in, in um, decentralized systems or even centralized systems in general? Sure. So the difference between signatures and encryption <clears throat> are radically different. Uh, essentially, encryption protects the confidentiality of data, and a signature can be tied either to identity or authentication or uh, of integrity, for example. Uh, so while signatures are signatures are usually public, and you want to prove that something came from someone else, encryption is sort of the opposite in some cases, where you want to protect the intent, you want to protect the confidentiality of the data and prevent that from being disclosed. And what does NewCypher do? Let's, let's then move into what is um, proxy re-encryption, the hallmark of what NewCypher is is offering. I'll yeah. Uh, let, yeah. 
Well, I'll yeah. let David explain that one because he's the expert. So just to be clear, you guys just rebranded it to be KMS, which stands for Key Management System. So I'm yeah. kind of kind of focused, like I'm kind of personally curious about that aspect. Yeah, well, actually, the, from the conception of, of the project, uh, we we designed it as a key management system. Although lately we've been realizing that uh, perhaps uh, what we are doing is not, uh, it can be used in a more general way than a key management system. So yeah, uh, actually for several, some, some weeks, uh, we have rebranded it just to new cipher actually oh okay got although we, so we sometimes we may also refer to kms and uh, the white paper still says kms but uh, i think we we are coming to to think that what we are doing is something kind of more general to do a plain kms great cool and what is that yeah okay so basically uh, to answer your previous question what is proxy encryption so I think probably most of the listeners are uh, familiar with the concept of public key encryption, but if not, I'm just going to review it very briefly. So public key encryption uh, is a kind of uh, type of encryption that allows to have two different keys, a public key and a, pri and a private key, and to use this um, uh, the public key to encrypt uh, information and the private key to decrypt information. So that works really well for a lot of applications. But uh, in the case that you want to 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 share information to to other people, then uh, you you will end up to um, uh, having to share the private key. And that works. That 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 happens with public key encryption and and with symmetric encryption as well. So. Proxy encryption is a type of public key encryption that has a really special uh, property that allows to change the the public key that uh, which they were encrypted, right? So uh, I I can encrypt things with my public key, for example, and after that I can um, I can change uh, the the ciphertext so they can be opened with a completely different private key. So the, for example, I could change it so John can open the ciphertext with his uh, private key. So using proxy encryption, we introduced this secure data sharing functionality that previously um, there were no good crypto system for dealing with this. And with NoCypher, we are, of course, we are doing something um, we are we are doing a twist on this because we are not uh, the the process of transforming ciphertext is done using a decentralized network in order to reduce any kind of uh, central uh, centralized system that has to be trusted and everything. So we we get rid of this using a decentralized or distributed proxy encryption scheme, and um, and and all of this powers the this. Mm, this network of nodes that perform our encryption, our encryption service. Okay, so if I understand that, you have a file, and you want to store it securely, so you encrypt it with your uh, your uh, public-private key pair to be encrypted so only you can read it. And then you want to share that file with somebody else. So you re-encrypt that file, but do you does that re-encryption duplicate the data, or do you just like overwrite the previous file? Yeah, but actually, you you will encrypt your data and you will store it some like I don't know in IPFS or, or mm -hmm. Amazon S3 or whatever, and then we have a, a network of nodes, a decentralized network, where you can, uh, okay, yeah, some, something I didn't I didn't uh, mention before is that uh, you as a data owner has uh, have the 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 possibility of creating a special key called the reencryption key, right? And this reencryption key, uh, anyone can take this reencryption key and transform uh, ciphertexts that were uh, encrypted for you and, and change it to some other key that, that you specified uh, when you generated this key. So the, the idea is that uh, we create, uh, the, the owner creates a reencryption key uh, every time he, he wants to 
give access to his files to someone. So for example, I can say, okay, I have this um, information that it's information about my health and I, I want to share it with a doctor. So I create a encryption key uh, that, that can be used to transform my encrypted data uh, so the doctor can open with his uh, with his private key, and this encryption key gets sent. It's sent to the to the network to the Nucipher network, but it's sent in a special way. It's sent in parts, so it's sent to end. It's fragmented in end pieces, right? And then the the nodes in the network they will perform the encryption operation in a distributed way, and you will the result from all of them and decrypt the information locally. So that that way there, there is no central uh, point of trust or central point of failure, but uh, instead the network uh, as a whole is what's giving you the the service of encryption. Okay. So uh, that part right there reminds me very much of Shamir uh, secret share. So basically what you're doing is you're taking your original um, encryption key and splitting it up uh, basically, I guess, using it as a way of creating an elliptical curve and then splitting that up and sending the uh, individual um, shares out to several nodes. And then a plurality of those nodes have to come back and give the access to a person who's requesting or granted the access. Is that, uh, am I misinterpreting what you're saying? No, no, it's, uh, you're very right. I mean, we are actually under the hood where you see techniques uh, inspired in secret sharing, although we are not using uh, using that directly to share secrets, we are using that uh, to to fragment the encryption key, and in in a way that the encryption process uh, can be recombined after the fact, it can be recombined later, and the recipient can decrypt. But yes, the, the idea is kind of similar. And the cool thing about this, I'm, I'm, and maybe maybe I'm actually misunderstanding this. Let me let me make sure. You require the private key of the recipient in order to decrypt the file. Still, so even though you're sharing the key share out to all the nodes, the nodes can't just collaborate, recreate that key, and then unlock the file. Correct? No, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's something that I forgot to mention. That uh, one of the core aspects of proxy encryption is that. This encryption key, it's not actually a key, a key that allows to decrypt information. It's just a key that allows to transform information from, or, or to transform ciphertext from being encrypted with one key to being encrypted with a different key. So the network is going to, to, to take ciphertext with my key, for example, and transform it to ciphertext for your key. And in the process, the the nodes in the network they are completely uh, blind to to the to the original data they can they cannot see anything now do the nodes actually do the re-encryption or does the actual person who wants to re uh, de get the decrypted file do the re-encryption locally no it's it's the nodes it's the nodes that do their encryption and the only thing you have to do locally is to to take the result from uh, from several nodes combine it combine them and, and decrypt. Let me get this straight. So the actual data storage, we have the original decrypted file, or in, encrypted file, and some, we'll call it a data lake that someone controls. That's all encrypted by their own personal private key. They then um, do something like a selective disclosure and they say they want a third party auditor to look at some medical records that have been encrypted. So they allow that person to create a re-encryption key and through the new cipher network, they then do what with that re-encryption key and the data? Um, where does the data go once it gets re-encrypted and then in the hands of the people who you've now selectively allowed to view that file or re-encrypt it? Uh, well, uh, okay. So the, the data flow will be uh, the information is encrypted somewhere. I, I, I don't know, wherever data storage uh, uh, service. And you as the data owner, as the original data owner, you create uh, this encryption key, okay? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And this encryption key uh, represents like an authorization from you to a, a, a user that you specify. For example, I want to share with a doctor, a specific doctor. 
and I have to to use the public key of the doctor in order to create this encryption key. Okay, so um, once this you once you create this encryption key, you fragment it in many pieces and send it to the network. Uh -huh. Then uh, then the doctor wants to access some file and uh, he goes to the storage and retrieves a ciphertext, but of course the ciphertext is originally encrypted with my public key. Mm -hmm. So he cannot decrypt it with his public key. So he's going to ask uh, to the new cipher network to transform it to his public key. He can, he can ask this because he has permissions in the form of a, of a set of fragments of encryption key that I, as a data owner, originally created before and sent it to the network. So uh, the doctor goes to the network and uh, asks for uh, encryption of, of this data that was originally uh, encrypted for, 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 for me. And the network will perform this operation in a distributed way. And the doctor will um, retrieve all the results, combine them, and decrypt with his private key. This answers quite a bit of questions for me because I was curious as to what the purpose of the token is. And considering the fact that the network is actually doing decryption on the data itself, it's an incentivization mechanism for them to be honest. Is that decently correct? Well, the, the, the network is not decrypting anything. I mean, the network doesn't oh, so have it, the possibility. Uh, they, they only can transform the information from one public key to a, to a different I'm sorry, that's public what I key. I'm sorry. But wrong, without wrong. being able to see any, any information. It's re-encrypting the information. It's never actually yeah, seeing exactly. the clear text. No, it's, exactly. it's moving yeah. from one ciphertext to another to allow the yeah, it's, third party it's, to do it. Exactly. It's done in an atomic way. So... Mm, it's not exactly as they decrypt it and encrypt it again. Mm -hmm. It's something different. It's literally less uh, similar to changing a lock in a in a in a door without opening the door. So, does the original owner still have access to their their file on the network? Um, meaning that the original document is still there. Are you creating a duplicated version of this document, or is it just on the fly created and passed to the doctor? Well, of course, you will always have the original. Uh, ciphertext you can always have it stored so yeah great the next question that i have in this is how computationally is expensive for the re-encryption process um from what we've done it's actually not uh intensive at all it's very similar to just doing a signature wow okay okay wow that means, like, that so sense. even a large data file yeah. is about the same computational expense of digitally signing that data file. Is that well? Right? It's the reason why it is because the network actually, the new cipher network actually never handles files. We never actually handle that data that you want to that you're sharing with someone. That is handled separately by yourself. So you put that data, say on IPFS or S3. What you're sharing with the network is a fragmented uh, re-encryption key. So. The way, the way our, our uh, cryptography works is we have two separate systems. We have Umbral, which is what, the prox what we call our proxy re-encryption system that was created by David Nunez. And then we have, uh, that's, that's what we call a key encapsulation mechanism. And then we have a data encapsulation mechanism. So you're probably familiar with symmetric cryptography as well, like AES or ChaCha20, Poly1305. Mm -hmm. We use uh, a symmetric encryption to uh, encrypt the data. So say you want to share with me a 10 gigabyte file. That's not small. So you encrypt this data uh, with a data encapsulation mechanism like a ChaCha20 Poly1305, and you upload that to S3. Now you want to share that with me in a decentralized manner, in a safe manner, and then maybe scalably share it with a ton of other people without having to re-encrypt it over and over and over again, right? So you generate a re-encryption key using Umbral, and you publish that re-encryption key on the network. And then when I want to access that file, I download that file and I go to each node on the network and have it re-encrypted. Ah, and that, okay. way, that way they're only re-encrypting uh, just something that's, little, that's less than 150 bytes and it's actually never touching the data. Beautiful. That's, yeah, okay. So this is actually a little similar to elliptical, key uh, elliptical curve distributed key generation, except you're having one central person who is the owner of the file actually manage that distribution and the generation of the of the key parts correct uh right so 
Alice can essentially, like, I have to ask Alice for access to this file. So I ask her and she grants it to me. That's what the API call is in our code. She grants it to me uh-huh. and she uses my public key and her private key to construct this re-encryption key on Umbral. And this gives her back like a, a symmetric key that she can then use to encrypt this file with. So she uses that. And then when I, she grants access, I just get access to that key. And then I can go to each node on the network and have it re-encrypted for myself. I can see why you initially called this a key management system, uh, because that's exactly what it's doing. It's it's they usually had this working on a third-party service that was heavily centralized, exactly. which allowed you to trust them. The advent of blockchain allows a trustless environment for this to happen. Exactly. So. Uh, proxy re-encryption, one of the main utilities for proxy re-encryption was distributed key management and stuff like that. Uh, and so it's really just a perfect you it's a, a new cipher is a perfect use case for proxy re-encryption. So, uh, yeah, originally we thought of it as something to compete with like Amazon, Amazon KMS or Google cloud KMS or, uh, HashiCorp vault, things like that. Right. But the the reality is, is that this is far more powerful than just a plain key management system. While it can be used for it, we've certainly realized as we were building this that there are many, many, many more utilities that can be done for this. Uh, It can be done with like uh, sharing files without knowing uh, the recipient, for example. So you can encrypt something with Alice's public key. And suddenly that if that suddenly Bob is able to uh, decrypt that data for himself. So you can imagine in many cases where like IoT use cases, especially where we need to share things with one centralized person, say like a doctor, and you have IoT devices that are health devices, like a heart rate monitor, a glucose meter, for example, and all these other devices that you might have. This all can, all this data can be stored with separate keys, but at the same time encrypted for one person, as long as that person has permission to view those files. That is pretty dope. So I would like to propose a new acronym for this instead of key management system it's a key (laughs) it's a key issuance protocol a key issuance protocol okay well we'll take we'll take that back we'll think about it (laughs) let's pull that (laughs) over i can see why you said i've I've watched a few like of your talks and and things before this and i can see why you say this is the tls of blockchain systems or i mean any data sharing system uh, overall right it's just a decentralized privacy system built on data sharing yeah, it's basically what we want. Uh, we like to think is that it's a decentralized uh, data privacy layer. So it's like a, a, a decentralized way to actually achieve privacy and confidentiality in the in, in data that can be generated or uh, managed by applications or perhaps even by end users. So one thing I like to try and um, hash out, if you will, uh, is like what we've discussed is your solution to a problem that exists, but what are problems that you're facing now? And like, what are some hangups that you're, you're experiencing that you're trying to get over or, uh, or, or even limited to based on how you do things? Well, actually one tangible problem that we have right now that we could solve very easily with some push of the Ethereum community is having, uh, some, uh, built-ins for the Ethereum virtual machine right now uh, to do SecP256 K1 curve arithmetic addition and multiplication. That would make our lives much easier. And then we could do a lot of verifications on the blockchain uh, and actually be able to make the system even more collusion resistant than it already is. But uh, we have, there's a few problems that we're confronted with, mainly stuff like oracles, and this, I feel like many decentralized applications have the same problem, and it's proving when a real-world thing happens on the blockchain. Uh, so that's something that we would like to use and, and integrate into our system, but there really is no good uh, or reliable Oracle out there yet. So what's wrong with something like Oracleize? What's, 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 the, what's the downfall of what their current solution is? Um, so it's just not decentralized enough for us. Uh, and it's also questionable for me. It's the questionableness of the, the questionableness of the security of the, of the protocol too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's not enough. Like we need to be able to prove in our network that 
some like for example if we could prove that somebody opened uh, a file for example or if we could prove that someone deleted something for example that like these are these are things that we can't solve with cryptographic uh, problems but we would love to have solved through some other means okay what's the what's the limitation of how much you can scale is it like that that's more i would say a trust limitation of how you'd like to further decentralize the way you currently do things. What about like computationally complexity or scaling as a number of users start using something like this? Um, we actually don't think scaling is going to be much of an issue. I mean, if it is, that's a great problem to have. Of course. Because uh, we, can, we can solve it, I feel like, pretty easily on our end. We have ideas for it already. But the uh, as far as scaling goes, it, I think we're pretty good because of how computationally intensive this is, which it, it's not. Uh, we think that as long as we have reliability and bandwidth on our network, uh, so node uptime is high and these nodes can handle a lot of requests, then I think our network's going to be perfect. So, uh, at least for the foreseeable future. Getting back to that Oracle point of view, uh, you want to know things like how, when somebody opens a file, I could see why that would be extremely important, especially for an audit trail. So well, there's also other things too, like payments as well, like uh, building stuff like, how do I know somebody bought something, for example? Like, uh, while this can be measured in, in the, on, uh, down on the blockchain, there's still many other problems that, that come from just us wanting to know when an action has happened and when we can do some operation on some encrypted data. So why can't you just build some sort of time dependent or block, maybe block header number or whatever dependent um, like uh, request system? So you have to put in a request to un unlock or view a file every single time. That's what, that's what happens. Mm. Oh, that's what's currently like you. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So that's, that's exactly what happens. Every policy is based on time. So you can grant a policy for up to a week or you can grant a policy up to a month, a year, uh, or just a few days. Uh, each period is measured in a day. So it's really up to the grantor how long they want to give you access. So uh, that way, you the the data recipient doesn't need to store the key on their system. They can access it uh, as needed. And when they s stop accessing it, well, they just won't get any more updates or they or the access has been revoked. Well, what I was saying is if you wanted to know when somebody opened a file, you just make the request automated so that they they have to have this new this new timestamp dependent um aspect to it so like you're saying it's you can grant access for a certain period of time but can you grant access for a certain period of time and require that that time period be updated you know it's like every single they, they if they open it within five minutes like uh, how do i say this like every five minutes they need to be make a new request to get a new the document again like does that make sense um, the issue with that, it, it works on the network, but that would ultimately, ultimately be up to Alice to build infrastructure to handle something like that. That's why our protocol wow. is our protocol is very low level in that sense, and that uh, it's very extensible and modular, and that somebody can build whatever they need on top of it to, for their own utility. Um, so if that's something Alice wanted to build, that's certainly something she could. But integrating time-based components into cryptography is really, really tricky because anybody can, brute time is not really a, a reliable source of entropy. So trying to add time to like a key, for example, just means that I could uh, try to brute force the time at which it unlocks, for example, really easily. But you could use a blockchain's um, hash as sort of the oracle for that situation, correct? For opening a file? Yeah. So as, instead of time dependent, it would be like the, the uh, you know, um, the, the block hash. Uh, I think the header, that could be colluded by miners in some, some odd scenario. That'd be pretty, you'd have to, I mean, the, the weight of that would have to outweigh the value of the actual block being mined. In other words, the value you get after out of, out of hacking that you'd have to throw enough hash power into it to gar almost guarantee that you were able to unlock the file. Um, the I'm, I'm not entirely sure what you mean uh, and how that would work. But uh, again, like I still well, feel like that'd be something for Alice to actually build to mm -hmm. allow you to get to give you access to that file. I, I agree okay. with the idea of maintaining or being as agnostic as possible at the lowest layer possible. So that way you don't have to right. make decisions based upon um, any given use case and allow people right. to build whatever they yeah. want on top, which could then be, you know, subject to whatever use case needs to be. See, is not in the business of uh, file management. 
it's we've we've really taken an agnostic step to saying how and where you store your data and how that data is accessed. Uh, we pretty much just leave it up to the developer to say uh, how should I get how should I give access to this file or for someone, <clears throat> and uh, we we just kind of leave that as an open question for the developer. So if that block hash, if I'm understanding what it is correctly. I really feel like that would be something like a great service for somebody to build on new cipher. I feel like that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So there's also, uh, it's interesting you bring up that Oracle stuff. We just recently had Hunter Pendergrass uh, and um, Forrest Marshall on from Amir. And I think they might actually have kind of that Oracle solution you're kind of looking for possibly based off what I'm guessing. But um, I think that you're right in that keeping, keeping your focus narrow is going to benefit yourself and the community for, for at least the time being, there's plenty of plenty of opportunity in building businesses around opinionated ways to handle things, and enterprise looks for those those kind of opinionated systems. But in order for those opinionated systems to have any sort of coherency, there needs to be an underlying protocol which describes how things should be transferred. So I really love your approach. Yeah, we uh, we think we're doing the right thing. We have a really awesome team, uh, and we're really really excited to uh, get on testnet and show everybody and let everybody start playing with it. So do you have customers or is this sort of just something that's still kind of in the open source stages? It doesn't really, you don't really have any uh, people interacting with it quite. So all of our code is open source. <clears throat> we never, we don't plan on making the, any part of the, uh, the main uh, blockchain based components of it, uh, not open source. Uh, so we do have customers in the form of partnerships that people who want to use us, things like Datum, Bluezell, uh, and some other healthcare based uh services i like blue zell uh, and yeah blue zell is pretty cool our, our cto is a is an advisor for them okay let's let's talk about the token i want to know where that comes in and why it's necessary sure some of the economics around it yeah so the token is used to stake uh a uh, it's used to stake on the network to actually join it so say you are re-encrypting data you're going to stake the token so that you can uh, join the network, receive re-encryption keys, fragments of re-encryption keys, and re-encrypt uh, uh, data for to give out CFRAGs. And you also earn rewards on top of that. That's that's all it's used for. Okay. And the I'd say a good portion of the people who think about the token economy, economies is uh, how does that, like, they think about, as you add value to the network, the value of the token goes up, which increases kind of the reason to then build on top of the token. But since it's basically a staking token and it's more along the lines of keeping you honest than slashing if you're not, I'm assuming that's right. Yeah. Right. Um, how does that work as more and more people show up? It's just that you just hope that as more and more people use the system, there's going to be a need for more and more people to be doing re-encryption and that it increases the, the availability of people to do that re-encryption. Uh, that's certainly a part of it. It's also a security measure as well. Distributed our token is secure the secure the network is. So building a truly distributed network requires that many many people are running nodes. So we're using the token uh, uh, to kind of launch that. Okay, I'm curious. I, I, this is something that I would like to probably run on one of the servers of my home. Is like grab some tokens, stake them for sure, encryption, and see how that goes. Uh, is there any type of metric you can watch as you go live on a testnet or mainnet to see what that distribution is, or even the number of people who are staking tokens versus the total supply? Well, I'm not actually sure if we're ready to release any details like that quite yet. <laughs> um, but the idea is that we're going to figure out some of these things in testnet as well, because what we're building is still somewhat experimental in that we don't really know what the best way to measure some of these, uh, some of these things are, because it's the very first of its kind, essentially, mm -hmm. like this is a really new uh, way to do key management and it's never been done before in, on this scale. So for us to actually build this, we're taking very various bits from, different papers like the Tor project and other projects and Casper, for example, uh, and combining all these, these things to figure out how, what's the best way to measure our network? What's the best way to scale our network? What are, what's, what are the best settings for our network? And then it's going to be how to tie in the token uh, to this and figuring out how to make this the most secure, most distributed, most reliable network. So let me tell you why governments hate this. 
I think you already know. Um, like I, I, I know that there's there's concern with these kind of things. Um, well, first off, just so the audience is aware, cryptography in general is comes under the same set of laws as um, export laws as uh, nuclear weapons. Most of mass destruction. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're talking like cryptography is serious business when it comes to governments, and for good reason. It's- that's only the case that that was actually for the private citizen. That's actually not the case anymore. Uh, but that's really that is the case if you're dealing with government stuff. It's still illegal for you to export cryptography to nation states where it's illegal. But I mean, with the Internet, that's kind of impossible. But we have to just try our best not to do that. Yeah, there's really nothing you can. It's already out there. It's not like it doesn't already exist. It's not like the things you're doing can't be reconstructed by someone else. It's not like there's like if it's pretty much just a, if you're doing dipshit things they have a method of (laughs) nailing you to the wall but uh i'm concerned about this for for i mean you bring up tor um this could easily be used to transfer state documents you know uh and to foreign nations uh this could be used for child pornography this could be used for weapons schema uh, this could be used for sending terrorist plans. There's, there's like, what, what is, what is the, uh, what are your thoughts with regard to that? Uh, I don't mean to sound like a Debbie Downer, but that is. Well, it's of... very similar. It's very similar to the cash argument. Bitcoin can be used for all those things too, but cash is used for more of it. And you want to know what protocol is used for all of those things? TLS. Yeah. TLS, the, the component that literally builds, that builds the security backbone behind the internet does it too. But we understand that to be a necessary feature to actually have the internet to do secure things and operate on data. So it's a very similar concept for cryptography as well as what and as well as what we're building. Yes, these are things that can happen, but uh, the security and the features that that this provides are far greater than any of these other things. And that's something we have to realize that people in the '90s during the crypto wars then realized then as well. Yeah, and, and just to add something, re- re- recall that uh, John explained before that uh, we 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 don't handle files, and we 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 don't even handle encrypted files. We just handle encrypted keys. So at any moment, we are capable of knowing anything about the content of the data. We're just um, the network just manage encrypted keys, uh, transform it to a different public key, and everything, but. Nothing else. No possibility for Mallory. No. Um, <coughs> no, because not, not because... as far as I <laughs> as we think. Yeah. Okay. We yeah, do. as far as we think, we don't think that's really possible quite yet. We're still researching. Got it. And so the the so the crowd knows the lingo. Mallory would be a malicious intermediary, somebody in the middle, typically man in the middle attack, who kind of listens in on the communication is able to make things translate the data without anybody knowing it. Well, that's part of what, uh, I guess this is mentioned in the white paper or maybe somewhere else in the fact that uh, even if someone did collude to find the re-encryption key, they don't have permission to access the file. So they can't decrypt the key, can't decrypt the actual file. So there's, there seems to be multiple layers of um, security here. One is uh, never revealing the data upon re-encryption as well as the permissions of the file itself when you need to decrypt it uh once you have the re-encryption key is that a good way to put it yeah i think so i think i think you're getting at it uh so the essentially we're just we all we do is just literally we have something called a capsule like the uh, the umbral output in our system is this capsule right and that is what alice is going to share with anybody who needs access to this file alone, the capsule cannot be used except by Alice to decrypt that data. And she has to, and it has to be re-encrypted. And so that's the main component, the main sharing piece to actually power everything. So let's talk application theory crafting for a minute. We've already mentioned healthcare sharing health records. Um, I, I've recently had a Twitter argument. I hate those. I really hate <laughs> you seem to I like really them. do. They stress me out, man. Like I, I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying it. to have an actual discussion. Twitter's a terrible place for it. But this is about this is about voting mechanisms. And one of the things that I think is a key 
principal necessity for a truly decentralized, no authority voting system would be in identity management in some way, shape, or form. When we're talking about the health record issue, um, in the United States, we have something called HIPAA laws. Um, I'm sure there's analogous ones in pretty much every country. Uh, We're talking about being able to tie a person, a a human entity to an, an electronic record. But we don't want them to expose their data in mass, but more at will. This to me sounds like, and that's like a big concern is privacy, you know, privacy. It's not just about health records. It's also about driving record and criminal history and credit score. All these things need to be granted access, not open access. I see a protocol like this as being a really, really, really intriguing way of decentralizing that access granting, but also having it kind of readily available at any time. Um, do you have any thoughts with regard to say identity management, um, and your system? Yeah, well, we, we do actually, uh, one of the, uh, first applications, uh, I, I devised for proxy encryption, even before joining the cipher, but also after, um, after we started working with them is to use proxy encryption to kind of um uh, being able to store your identity information in a way that uh, the, the identity provider doesn't have actually to know your identity information so you as the only owner of your identity data can uh, grant access to whatever recipient uh, you desire but not giving the control to to identity providers so that's one of the applications that can be very easily done with this uh, new new cipher network and that also it's uh, it's mentioned briefly in the in the white paper because it's something that it can be constructed relatively easily so when people are trying to develop the new facebook it probably uses a system similar to this um meaning that you know they would need to have some sort of way of granting access and, and rights uh do you take into consideration other identity standards that have been proposed? For instance, we've had Fabian Vogelsteller on here who proposed the uh, ERC-725 um, uh, identity contract standard. Does your system marry well with these kind of things, or are you aware of them? Uh, sorry, you kind of broke up for me on that one. Sure. Um, there are existing proposals for identity standards which are out there. How does your system integrate with those those proposals, such as ERC-725, or are you aware of them? Um, I am aware of them. Uh, I'm, we don't really actually implement anything uh, for identity management quite mm-hmm. yet. Um, I'm actually not familiar with ERC-725 completely. Uh, actually, wait, am I? I'm looking at it right now. Oh yeah, I am. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I actually raised, a, I actually commented on the GitHub issue for that because I found some issues in their, in their protocol, uh, and nobody's addressed it yet, but that that's another issue. <laughs> what is it? Uh, just tell, just say it out. You know, this is also a so, conversation. So because they're trying to store a, a public key in 32 bytes and uh, if not, they yeah. hash it. If not, they hash it. And the, they also said that, like, I asked them, when I asked them what would happen with RSA keys, they said, they said, oh, it'll get hashed. And that does, yeah, that it does show work, that it gets but... hashed. But show, but, but the point is that they can, like, can you prove that that public key is the one on the con- in the contract? Well, yes, I guess you can if it's a hash of it, though you may not be able to get it back. But the other thing is, I was like, is it your intention to also hash every public key that gets sent there because 32 bytes is not enough? I think I so, responded with you in that particular thread. I'm pretty did sure. You? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize. Yeah, you did. Small world. Yeah, you did. Small world, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so New Cypher actually doesn't implement any of these standards. Uh, we don't have any intention to do so quite yet until we get, uh, or to do anything related to identity management until we get uh, the key management system fully functional. Um, and from there, it's really up to us in the community what, what needs to be implemented and what can be used for it. So uh, while I think identity management is really cool, it's also exceptionally tricky. And I still think we're quite a ways, way, quite a ways way away 
from actually getting to a workable, fully functional, workable uh, uh, utility here. Uh, there's stuff that's like, a, I think, Sovereign, uh, there, uh, all the other ones are leaving me. But essentially, what I think identity is going to be left up to is per application. And that's the way I think it should be for right now. And I, ne I don't necessarily think it should, there should be just like one giant world identity for every single application quite yet. I haven't been convinced of it. Um, I, I see the need for it, but I like to think of things on a smaller scale and build stuff per application. I agree with you, but I think that uh, I think that it's kind of all right. So, like, I don't want to manage a ton of app uh, identities, so I feel like each individual each individual will have their own key ring essentially, and that'll be the identity system that they are sure. using to grant. So, you need some way of managing all these identities, and I think that that's that's actually what I mean. That's where it's going to be. It's basically an array of identities. Um, you know, uh, well, you heard it. Kind of I mean, the audience heard it here. Key ring for identities. Build it. <laughs> yeah. Go do that. That's what I was. I was Build thinking it. about this, and I think that like, one of the like I say early criticisms of uh, public blockchain systems was the fact that everything's public and it's all open because we'll only use digital signatures. You know what's on the blockchain, and everyone has access to it, and so people were reluctant to put or do business use cases. Put you know, identifiable information on the whole, especially for the Bitcoin blockchain, their whole mark is obfuscated as much as possible. And adding something like this, making it useful, gives people a layer on top to then utilize those systems as they scale out, if they are capable of scaling out, to then do whatever they want with whatever type of information with the storage of those systems as they scale. So that you get some type of standardization around all the other stuff that's outside of key management, but those systems don't handle key management very well and yours does. So the marriage of this type of stuff is is quite wonderful for actually building applications for people to use uh, with whatever um, security, identity, trust, um, encryption guarantees you want. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. We're trying, to, <clears throat> we're trying to build an application that sets the uh, foundation uh, for secure blockchain applications in the future. And there's nobody else doing this, correct? You don't know any, what's your, what's your competition? Well, uh, well, there's people like Enigma, uh, they're trying to do private smart contracts, but they use MPC and MPC is also problematic in many ways, though it also does solve many problems. We think uh, proxy re-encryption is the perfect use case for something like what we're building and we're just, we're, going with it. And I think it's going to work out very well, but yeah, we have the people like Enigma, um, uh, some other, some other competitors that aren't really as much as competitors in my eyes, as much as they are same players in the domain. Mm -hmm. I forget their names off the top of my head, but, uh, yeah, one is just majorly Enigma that can do like, for example, private data sharing through their NPC platform. Um, I don't necessarily think that it's the greatest, it feels like overkill for private data sharing when you could just use something like ours, for example, but yeah. So what, um, what languages does new cipher support? Sure. Uh, so we support Python right now, Python, Python, and Python. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's all written in Python and we're hoping to add, um, Golang libraries for it soon, maybe even rust and in the future JavaScript. Uh, yeah. JavaScript Node. probably sooner than later. Yeah, Node sounds like the 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 thing. Most 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 of the folks I I've worked with, I mean, like I love Python. Python is by far my favorite language. I wish Viper would take off, um, because I'm sick of Solidity, and I feel like building smart contracts na native in Python would be just dope as hell. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, um, Node is because of Web three libraries, because of the fact you can you can build. A decentralized application. You could just like webpack your code. You could build one library which works on both a you know a node decentralized application and a browser decentralized application. Node has been kind of like the big one. Um, I, I have concerns with that because JavaScript is historically not great for cryptography. Having yeah. built it, having built cryptographic applications in the browser, for example, it's actually really dangerous and really hard to get right. Like I'm sure there, I'm sure you guys have seen the the multitude of vulnerabilities that come from random number generation mm -hmm. in the browser. 
And, and so these are concerns that we have. And I think the answer is building something similar to MetaMask and just having a browser extension that lets people access the network. So we have complete control over how you access it. All you have to do is just make, is just make a function call to say the applicant, the extension, and we provide the data back. Uh, yeah. So it's like full, like a full, like the idea is that maybe we build a full client and so that people can't make really dangerous mistakes. And if we make mistakes, then we make mistakes and we fix them. Not, not so that you can build an, an entire application using insecure primitives. That makes sense. Um, I, I guess, uh, I guess, I guess my, 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 no, actually I don't have anything to say after that. That makes perfect sense to me. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, uh, what um, what are the next steps for New Cipher? What's your roadmap look like? Uh, so we're really, really hoping to reach te- testnet this month. Uh, on Monday, I leave for Seattle uh, uh, to go meet up with uh, some of our developers, our CTO, and we're all going to just spend some time together. Uh, we do, we call these homecomings. We're going to spend two weeks together building our application together in the same room. Mm-hmm. Uh, David's going to be joining us as well. Uh, so we're going to be splitting time between Seattle and Portland. And uh, we're really hoping to get testnet here within this month or the, or within the next month. Uh, we've encountered some challenges for ourselves, uh, mainly within uh, Solidity and just trying to get our network online. The way, the way it works uh, and trying to build uh how the blockchain interconnectivity and how all the blockchain components work together. That's, that's been a challenge for us. Um, we've also been going through security audits uh, and we'll, we hopefully will be releasing those details soon. Cool. Yeah. And by the way, I know your pain, there's no best practices for this stuff yet. So, you know, whatever you're doing to, and problems you're accounting, countering, do the, do the world a favor and document them. And, and so we can all kind of learn from, from what you went through. Uh, uh, if if the world really wanted to, they could go I look could... at our issue tracker. And... <laughs> True, fair enough. <laughs> We'd love. I that. mean, go look at the issue tracker because yeah. our developer Justin uh, J Miles documents everything in such a way that it's it's really uh, extravagantly well documented in the form of questions and answers almost. And so the all these problems, if you have a blockchain application, please just go onto the new site for issue tracker, read through this stuff, and if you have input on any of these things, please provide it because these are things that nobody's looking at and it's very niche groups of people are working on these issues. And so we have to apply all these crazy solutions to try to figure out what to do. And then we find out, Oh, it's just this thing. Oh, okay. Uh, so yeah, if you, if you have, uh, problems or if you have solutions, please look at our issue tracker and let us know. Yeah, that's definitely okay. one of the aspects of how to start something in this niche community is that, uh, and, I feel that maybe some of what we're feeling now in terms of the larger blockchain space is that now that it's garnered so much attention, we're attracting experts from different fields who are giving them their critical eye that we've never had before because it was never big enough for them to give a shit. And that's part of the pro- or part of the growing pains, if you will, of doing something like this is that it takes a while to get the people to pay attention that can give you the feedback you needed a long time ago. And, yep. and so yeah, that's right. hopefully we can help with that. I mean, I, I hope that people who listen to us um, can add whatever expertise that they have to what y'all are doing to help y'all grow faster along with any other thing else we do. Yep. So follow us on Twitter, like repost, smash that like button, whatever. So David uh, question, man, what, uh, what's, what are you looking forward to most in this, this space? What projects have you excited? Well, I, I for sure I am some I, I come from the cryptography side, right? So I I personally uh, personal interest of uh, projects that are dealing with cryptographic primitives and services uh, things things like for example Enigma or Keep that for example do uh, multi-party computation although. Uh, they are players also in in, a, in our field, uh, but I I will really like to to see how they solve these problems from the from the theoretical perspective. So that's personally that's my soft spot, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, see, see, see to to see the cryptography coming alive. Yeah, it's like they they they've uh, the blockchain decentralization space has really given like that field a whole playground to work with that they never had before. Well, so, one, one aspect of that that I want to kind of highlight real quick is 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 
um, I don't want to call it adversarial, but in the past, a lot of the crypto cryptography um, space was pushed by pure academia, which in, in my experience is quite different and um, than the, I guess, building businesses around something and the incentivization mechanism that blockchain enables is very different than what acad academia people talk about and how they then share information and, and push the boundary of knowledge. What's been your experience in maybe moving from that to the other? Because you have advanced degrees, so you've, you've experienced the academic world, but now work at, for a couple of companies that um, enable you to kind of see this new paradigm of pushing the boundary of knowledge that we have, but in a business standpoint almost. Well, uh, I personally, uh, I'm enjoying a lot uh, participating in this new wave of uh, brand new technology based on advanced concepts, like for example, this proxy encryption things. Uh, I, I, I have worked, I have been working on this for five, six years for my, for my thesis or also uh, as a postdoc and everything. And until, for example, until, until now, I didn't see that this, there was much possibility or there was a lot of possibility of seeing this in real world applications. And now suddenly a, a lot of people are starting to pay attention. And we are, for example, we with NuCypher, we are constructing this great decentralized network based on proxy encryption. I mean, that's uh, from, from, from a personal perspective, that's extremely satisfa satisfactory uh, to see this uh, extraordinary concept of technology uh, being realized so yeah that's that's one of the things that of course academia by itself will never will never solve so one area of cryptography that i'm particularly interested in and i'm sorry if this is not uh, your focus or or whatever i'm not sure how that that kind of works in your field but one one particular area in cryptography that is of real interest to me um, is homomorphic encryption. And I haven't had a cryptographer on to really talk about that uh, in length at this point. I was wondering if, if, if you could, uh, if you have any uh, thoughts on that particular subject and the progress that's being made in that particular area. I think we both have a lot of opinions on this. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, well, I, I, I will basically just uh, say that. Uh, I fully think homomorphic, that, sorry. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, fully homomorphic. Uh, I, I think that for, for the moment, still uh, the, 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 the technology is not quite ready for reaching. I mean, not, for example, like proxy encryption, personal encryption is based on elliptic curves. And basically there, there was no technology uh, um, problem to, re, to really implementing this in a real world, uh, in a real life product. But for homomorphic encryption, that's a whole different uh, deal. So there are a lot of problems with uh, um, performance, with mm -hmm. uh, size of ciphertext, with ciphertext expansion, uh, and also from the from the theoretical point of view of the security notions of homomorphic encryption and everything. That's something that still has has uh, a road ahead. Also, the but gate constructions. Yeah, yeah. So the the, the problem is it's way more difficult than than cryptography or the, 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 the type of cryptographic primitives that we've been using uh, for the last 20 years. So, but, but anyway, there's a lot of um, incentives to try to, to, to achieve this because everyone uh, has some great idea for using fully homomorphic encryption. We just need to have uh, uh, efficient and performant fully homomorphic encryption schemes. So, no. so yeah. As it applies to Moore's law, how do you think fully homomorphic encryption will facilitate trade and execution of billing contracts and stuff like that? These simple, typical calculations level uh, material items, uh, how do you think that, that um, considering that computing power is still increasing at a pretty steady rate? Um, I mean, Moore's law has kind of been debunked, but it, I mean, there's always advancement in computing speeds. Do you see the computational complexity of uh, are diff, uh, I don't know if you even calling it complexity would be the right term. Um, just the the amount of work that's required to do fully homomorphic encrypted calculation. Um, 
do you feel like that is um, going to be prohibited giving, given an increase in computing power in the future? Well, uh, we, we have not only to think about, um, uh, there is a lot of research that has to be done in, in how to implement this in a more efficient way, not, not only to trust uh, that the hardware is going to be faster. So there has to be uh, there has to be a lot of effort on trying to devise new mathematical foundations or uh, or the integration with the or the integration with of the cryptography scheme with the with the software and with the hardware in order to really uh, exploit every every possible uh, okay. cycle. Right. So and I get that, but. I think what I'm really asking is, if you were to fix the research at today's point, at, assuming that computing speed doubles, let's just round it off to every two years, at what point would homomorph fully homomorphic encryption become viable for very basic operations in a decentralized network? Well, so I will say that this is a problem that New Cypher is working on. We have researchers working on this problem right now. Uh, the issue is not just the the performance the performance is hardly the issue at this point right now for some of these applications the the problem is because there are uh fully homomorphic encryption libraries yeah. that are performant yeah. uh however the issue is that it pretty much like what david said it requires a rethinking of the mathematical underpinnings for a lot of this stuff so for example for, with the advent of quantum computing, we have to build new algorithms to uh, sort things in a quantum in a in a quantum computer, right? So for homomorphic encryption, we have to pretty much build a system to uh, allow these uh, fully homomorphic algorithms to be created. Something that main something that's efficient in today's computers right now. For like for example, uh -huh. like like merge sort is a very quick or a quick sort rather is a quick uh, sorting algorithm, but it may not be quick in a, in a homomorphic encryption scheme. So we have to build new uh, algorithms essentially to that are efficient for these specific systems. And it requires a lot of work and a lot of complexity to do that. And another point is that like, for example, you have to build these algorithms gate by gate, almost, mm -hmm. almost at the, very, very low level. You're building it with out of out of like AND gates and mm -hmm. AND gates and OR gates. For mm -hmm. Would they be impacted by register size because of that? Um, how do you mean? Well, I mean, like if you have a 32-bit versus a 64-bit versus a 256-bit, is it going to be a uh, register size? Is that going to impact like how these algorithms actually work? From from my understanding, it sounds like it might. That sounds more like an implementation detail. Yeah. To me. I'm talking about more on like a mathematical level here. Like we have to build these algorithms out of AND gates and OR gates. And because of that, no, there is, there are some programming languages that you can write stuff and get the appropriate AND, and, and slash OR gates out, the NAND gates out. But the issue is now you have to build, essentially build a whole new programming language that compiles to, to NAND gates. And from NAND gates, that's where you start constructing your, your homomorphic gates. And even if you build that one program and it works, it could be hor horrifically imperformant. And that's where the, uh, the performance is an issue and not necessarily at execution speed. It's going to be interesting to that see like fun. As, as, uh, as quantum computing gets better and better and better. This is something I, I follow quite, quite closely given my background. Um, those are specifically designed for very, very small set types of algorithms and how they perform. And they're still trying to figure out how to then map different problems onto those specific types of algorithms. As much as we're not even sure how quantum computing will end up moving based on how we put together the qubits and, and make them work efficiently. So like, I'm, I'm curious to see how that moves and then affects these types of decisions made on how to then make homomorphic encryption and the mathematics that underpin them. It's going to be an interesting next, what, five to 10 years to, to see where that starts to, to fill out. I, I think I'm a bit more um, pessimistic. pessimistic on that. I think we're probably going to see the, the use cases probably in 20 years. Oh, no, I was saying I was saying a five to 10 years to figure out which direction we should be going as opposed to having ah. performance systems. I, I, I'm, I I'm well on board with the amount of time it's going to take to have systems in the real world. This is more along the lines of like what decisions will we actually 
be able to start to see when are we going to start to be able to ask better questions um, oh, that's gonna be I see what you're saying. Years. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. All right. Well, I think that's a great way to wrap with uh we are collectively we don't know. Uh <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh Dave, David, John, thanks for coming on the show. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um for the listeners, if you enjoyed this, hit the like button on whatever system you're listening to this on. That could be Spotify, iTunes, give us an iTunes review, tweet to us, hashing it out pod. Tweet to me or Colin at, at Corpetti or at Colin Couchet. Um, guys, is there a way they can reach out to you if they want to learn more? Uh, yeah, you can reach out to me at john at newcipher.com. Uh, you can join our Discord and chat. and We, we have links on newcipher.com as well. Or you can just tweet at me uh, at underscore underscore Tux. Where did Tux come from? Um, so Tux is the name I like had for myself when... I, I, I've After been using computers for a yeah. I've been using using <laughs> Linux for a very long time, and I uh, kind of just picked Tux as like a name when I was like eight, and it's just kind of stuck. I have the same thing. People are like, "Where does Pettyho come from?" It's like, "Oh, <laughs> sorry, that was a high school thing." <laughs> My name has been around since I was fifteen as well, so uh, I think we all share the same personality features. Interesting. Um, and David, how can people reach you? Uh, well, you can basically, the easiest way is read me by, by mail, david at newcypher.com. Cool. Beautiful. All right. All right. Well, thanks, guys. It was great having you on. I really appreciate you uh, you getting you, you coming on the show. It's, uh, it's actually been riveting. Thanks. Really Thank great. you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs>